0: In a way, what we're doing is we're engineering social and cultural capital for people who don't have it. And mentoring is exactly, you're putting someone in touch with that person and get that individual, for example, Divya, to invest in someone who usually doesn't have that sort of senior, amazing, inspirational person with this background in their lives. And so I think that's where the magic happens.
1: That's very, very true, actually. I think when we think about, the young people that we work with often there are lots of role models in their lives they've got parents or guardians there's others in their communities but we always talk about additional role models so somebody else who's also potentially been there and done it when it comes to either careers that they're thinking about or just the types of lives that maybe the young people want to aspire to they have the aspirations but actually it's just how do I get there
2: Welcome to Season 4 of the Charity CEO Podcast, the podcast for charity leaders by charity leaders, bringing you inspirational and meaningful conversations with leaders who are driving change in the nonprofit space. I'm truly delighted and humbled that the show has been named in the Charity Times Top 10 Charity Podcasts for 2022. Thank you all for that incredible endorsement. I'm Divya O'Connor, and here's the show. In this episode, we are exploring another new format for the show. I have invited two charity CEOs to have a conversation on the power of mentoring. Bijal Shah, CEO of Reach Out, and Verena Hefty, founder and CEO of Leaders Plus. Both organizations offer mentoring programs, and I explore with Bijal and Verena different facets of mentoring, how it applies to different age groups, and how they measure that all-important evidence of impact. I truly believe that the timely intervention of support, knowledge and motivation can help change the trajectory of a person's life. And this is particularly important for young people today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Well, hi, Vishal. And hi, Verena. Welcome. And thank you for joining us on the Charity CEO podcast. Thanks so
1: much. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us.
2: Well, my pleasure. And as we are now in season four of the podcast, I thought I would start to explore some new formats. And this is the first time I've had the pleasure and the privilege of having two CEOs from different charities on at the same time. So, really trying to bring a more panel discussion style conversation to this particular topic. And today's topic is mentoring. But first, our icebreaker. And as there are two of you, I'm going to go with three questions each. Are you ready? Sounds good. (laughs) Sounds good. Excellent. Vigel, would you like to go first? Sure. So
1: question one. What was your first job? My first job, so my first ever job was in a clothes store. But my first job, let's say, let's call it my first sort of proper adult job after finishing education was with a company called Explore Learning running education centers for young people.
2: Ah, and Verena?
0: Mine was doing the early morning shift in a restaurant
2: serving lots of coffee and breakfast to elderly people. How lovely. And question two, what would you say is your professional superpower? I would say it is listening. Very important skill. Verena?
0: You know, you asked me this question in preparation, but badly so. I genuinely could not come up with an answer, so I'm going to have to pass on that one.
2: Perhaps they ask it differently. What would you say is your sort of top strength?
0: Well, I think I'm quite radical. Sometimes that's a strength. Sometimes that's a weakness. But yeah, actually, that is probably a superpower.
2: Yeah, of course it is. Radical superpower. (laughs) And our final icebreaker question. If you had the opportunity to interview anyone in the world, dead or alive, who
1: would it be? And what one question would you like to ask them? So I think my person is still around. Not somebody I know, unfortunately, but the author and activist Arundhati Roy. Oh, yes. God of small things. Yeah, to think of one question to ask would be really hard, but I definitely want to know about how she is able to be so unyielding, I think, and unshakable in what she does and her attitudes to society. I love that. Verena? From E,
0: it's in a way much more basic. So if Erminia Ibarra hears this, I really want to interview you. And I have written to you about three times asking you. So if ever, you know, you change your mind, then I'm here to interview you. And for those of you who don't know, Erminia, she is a researcher that researches why some people progress their careers and others don't. And I just feel that is such an interesting thing. I really want to unlock why is it that there's so many white male, middle class people in CEO jobs and not enough people who don't look like that and I've read all her books I'm a super groupie of hers so I really want to speak to her but she's very good she writes about time management and I think she says no to a lot of things sadly including my podcast but I'm still working on it I'll keep sending her emails and I'm sure
2: at some point in her life she will say yes That is fascinating. Please do let me know if you do manage to interview her. I'd love to listen. And Verena, you and I were just talking before we came on the call about the CEO body or the hashtag CEO body that is currently trending on social media. So I think it's a really critical question, really, to talk about in the leadership context of who can be a leader and what are the stereotypes around leadership and what a leader looks like. So we are here, ladies, to talk about mentoring, which I know is at the heart of both of your organizations. Bijel, you are the CEO of Reach Out, and Verena, you are the founder and CEO of Leaders Plus. And I don't know if you ladies know this, but I was reading that the origin of the term mentor actually comes from Greek mythology. And the story goes that King Odysseus went to fight the Trojan War and he left his son and heir Telemachus under the care of a guardian called Mentor. And this individual, however, did not have the prince's best interests at heart. So it was goddess Athena who stepped in and she disguised herself to look like Mentor and she was the one who then guided Telemachus to victory the goddess athena is of course the goddess of wisdom handicraft and warfare and i think there are clear parallels um, with sort of her representation and the role of a mentor today so i wanted to really start off by asking you both to tell us about your organizations uh, and the mentoring programs that you offer verena Mm. why don't you go first
0: that's so interesting i love that explanation of where where it comes from so i run leaders plus and as you will have gathered from my mention of Erminia Barra, I'm super passionate about equal career progression. I believe that our leadership world needs to look differently and I am a bit annoyed that so many people who have young children, especially mothers who take time out, tend to get stuck in that middle leadership level and we need to change this. Hence, we run a nine-month fellowship program which is designed to help people progress their careers and have children in tow and live those full lives. So, I guess if mentoring is interesting. I'm going to be very honest. So mentoring was from the very start a part of our program and a very well-loved part of our program. We do lots of other things. We have small group discussions. We bring in line managers. We bring in life partners, husband's wife, if so. But the m- reason initially why we brought in mentoring was because of people really wanting that. And I was a bit ambivalent at first, I have to say, because I'm a bit of a research geek, so I read up on the research around it. And there's quite a bit of research that mentoring if done badly, like you discovered <laughs> covered with your story from Odysseus, actually mentoring if done badly or with bad intention can have a really bad impact. So I think I went in with that, if we do mentoring, we need to get it right. And also, there are a lot of programs that evaluate mentoring, mainly for young people. And some make a big impact and some actually don't make an impact. So from the very start, I always thought about how do we avoid bad or no impact mentoring and how do we accelerate the chance of high impact mentoring.
2: Excellent. Thank you. I'd really love to come back on this topic of evaluation and impact in a
1: moment. But Vigel, tell us about Reach Out. Absolutely. So we are an organisation that supports young people through mentoring. We work in sort of underserved, under-resourced communities across the UK and we do our work in conjunction with schools. So, schools will refer young people to our programme, those who they feel are in need of that support through mentoring the most. What's really unique, I guess, about what we do is that it is providing that one to one support for young people with trusted adults, but also creating really crucial group dynamics as well and that group element so that young people have that peer support. They're seeing lots of other adults around them as well that can all, in effect, be mentors to them. And they're building that trust in authority and in adults and that sense of belonging and community, which often we, we sort of see in a lot of the communities we're working in. They're struggling to find maybe at school necessarily. So it's support from trusted adults who can, you know, you talked earlier about sort of provide that wisdom, that guidance, but it's about helping really with decision making a lot of the time. So providing those tools, those skills to make the best decisions for themselves, for those around them. We talk a lot about character development. So helping young people to sort of build those those skills. I don't love the phrase soft skills, but I think it's actually the really crucial skills that young people need to be able to make those informed decisions, to be able to think about life during school, beyond school and just get that support that they need whilst they're in those environments and to be able to think long term about what they might want to do, how they might want to go down the pathways that are, that are right for them to sort of achieve their full potential.
2: Thank you, Bijal. So I am interestingly about to take up an interim CEO appointment at a charity called the Girls Network, which also offers mentoring programs, but specifically for young girls aged 14 to 19 from disadvantaged areas. So the program works via the schools. It sounds quite similar to your model and connecting the young girls up with a professional women with a view to inspire and open their eyes to future possibilities. And Verena, I'm very pleased to have joined your fellowship program as a senior leader mentor earlier this year. So I know from my own personal experience and from a vast body of research that there was a lot of anecdotal evidence around the benefits of such programs and the benefits of mentoring when it's done well. And Verena, to your point, I'd really like to understand more about what has been the impact of your mentoring programs and how do you actually measure this impact in your organizations?
0: There are structured evaluation questionnaires beginning of the program at the end but we look at whether or not people have progress on the indicators that we're working to so have to become more confident in combining careers and family life have they been confident in speaking up has the mentor shown them new ways of thinking and so on and so forth but I think the interesting question that we try to unpick is what exactly is the difference the mentor is making and that is a much harder Question because we're thinking, how can we replicate that elsewhere? And I think it seems to be one someone who's genuinely invested in you, and that's why the relationship is so important. So we ask, there seems to be strong evidence that if you have a strong relationship, you're much more likely to have a big impact in your mentoring relationship. And are people genuinely invested? Does the mentee feel that the mentor really is there for them rather than there to sit there and give good advice and feel good about themselves? And I think those are the real questions that we need to ad- adapt. And so with our program, and I'm sure you do something similar, Bija, we really encourage people to commit to each other. And you've experienced that. It's almost like you know, saying, yes, I do want to invest in this relationship. But then also, if it doesn't work, to be very proactive and say, actually, something jars here. And I'm a real, I love mentoring. So I always get people to mentor me. And I've learned the hard way that I know very quickly and you know very quickly in your gut whether this relationship is going to make a difference or not. And just to make a decision there and then whether or not you want to continue is quite important.
1: When it comes to evaluating our programme, so we try to get that input from as many of the sort of stakeholders involved. So there's the young people themselves who we ask about changes that they've seen and that's in specific areas. So I talked before about character development We talk about improvements in confidence, social confidence, academic confidence, asking them about changes that they've seen in those areas. And then have they enjoyed having a mentor as well? And has that mentor helped them to see what life in secondary school might be like, life beyond school might be like? So through those really key transition points as well is very important. And I have to say, I think when it comes to impact measurement, It is very difficult because actually really trying to gather the impact on things that are often quite intangible. How do you really show that this young person has actually completely transformed a lot of the time? But a lot of it is in ways that you can't quite grasp, you can't quite put into a fact or a figure. And the other side of it, I would say, is that there's huge impact that we see on our mentors. So all of our mentors are volunteers. So you know, you talked to Farina about that commitment, that commitment that's required is so, so important. And we really drum that in about committing, how crucial that is, how detrimental it can be, actually, if you're not committing through having built that trust with a young person, and then potentially breaking that trust by not showing up for them. But when it works, and we see the impact that we have on the mentors, they also show tremendous transformation. They talk to us about how actually if they're working professionals their working professional lives have changed and improved some of them have made entire career changes because of it they talk about improvements in their leadership skills their communication skills so it really is that primary benefit to the young people and the beneficiaries the primary beneficiaries but also that secondary benefit to all those around them families of the young people the people that they surround themselves with the mentors which is actually really interesting to look into
0: Hmm. I think it's so interesting what you're talking about with these relationships because, it, isn't it, in a way, what we're doing is we're engineering social and cultural capital for people who don't have it. And mentoring is exactly, you're putting someone in touch with that person and get that individual, for example, Divya, to invest in someone who usually doesn't have that sort of senior, amazing, inspirational person with this background in their lives. And so I think
1: that's where the magic happens. That's very, very true, actually. I think when we think about the young people that we work with, often there are lots of role models in their lives. They've got parents or guardians, there's others in their communities, but we always talk about additional role models. So somebody else who's also potentially been there and done it when it comes to either careers that they're thinking about or just the types of lives that maybe the young people want to aspire to. They have the aspirations, but actually it's just, how do I get there? Mm -hmm. And That's really important that it's others who've, as I said, have been there and done it.
2: I love that definition that you gave in terms of mentoring being about engineering, social and cultural capital. I think that absolutely hits the nail on the head. And in that light, I was just going to ask if you have any anecdotes or stories that you could share where you've seen this really come to life.
0: One person who comes to mind, I can't name any names, obviously, but she was a senior nurse. In a hospital, obviously, she was brilliant at what she did based on her patients' feedback, her colleagues' feedback, but she just didn't dare putting herself forward for things and she wasn't sure about it. And then we paired her with this very experienced mentor. By coincidence, it was someone who chaired a hospital trust before, so very senior person. And somehow that person really, that mentor really made her think differently and challenge her assumptions about what she was capable of. And just by having this, senior person believe in her and, and nudge her on she then went on to a much more senior role she ended up leading a whole team and department and fascinating thing is i only noticed that at the end so all this magic happened you know like i'm sure you find this as well visual just pair people up continue to obviously provide an information and support but sometimes you don't think of them all the time as in that particular pairing and then they come back and say oh by the way it's been life-changing and that's quite nice i think
1: <laughs> brilliant Absolutely. For us at Reach Out, it's really interesting because we work with young people as young as nine. So often, as much as they try to, can't always articulate fully the benefits maybe that it's having. But actually, we speak to what we speak to them and we do hear what they tell us. We speak to their teachers, their parents. And just seeing changes like a young person actually spending more time in class rather than being sent out of the class you know not having to miss break times because of misbehaving and actually getting all of that benefit that we hope for them to get in school is huge that's such a big thing as they think then about transitioning into secondary school and and beyond and then we've got young people i think of some of our young people who have been we've worked with in secondary schools but we've worked with them for five years almost on the trot with sometimes the same mentors so that long term support over years through those really key points in adolescence, has been absolutely incredible because they're being supported through their teenage years just with all the things that teenagers go through, but also to be able to feel more confident in taking exams, in asking questions in the classroom, in supporting them with friendships that they have as well that maybe they're finding tricky, even relationships with their own family as well, siblings. And then we hear now from young people in their sort of early 20s who we still stay in touch with, past alumni of the program, who come back and say to us, if it wasn't for Reach Out, I don't think I would be where I am now. And whether that's really thinking about success and whatever that means for them. So many who have gone on to find the jobs that they've really wanted to do, have gone on to start their own businesses, who have been able to support the people around them in the way they wanted to, really incredible case studies that we have of people who really do attribute quite a lot of the things that have happened in a positive way to them to mentoring. And that might be one mentor for a very long time or multiple people that that have helped them. And Pichal, how do you stay engaged with the alumni network, as you called it? So we have a couple of different ways. I think one thing that just has always been the case at Reach Out is there is this real sort of community feel. So actually, one thing that I hope we never lose as we grow is this culture of people feeling like they can talk to any one of us, whether it's me or, you know, a project leader or a volunteer who are our sort of sessional people or a member of our fundraising team. Even You know, we have that sort of culture where everybody knows everybody and they can come in and talk to us about something that they want support with. That's always been there. But now we're trying to formalise that. So We have sort of an alumni network. We have just set up an online platform as well for them to all become part of and be able to sort of support each other as well, be connected with each other. If you've got sort of a young person maybe who's 25 wanting to give that support to an 18-year-old, they can now. And that's really exciting because it's something that's in development.
2: And Verena, I know that you also focus on trying to keep former participants of the fellowship program engaged as well as former mentors. Do you have any sort of more formalized channels and structures through which you do this? So some of it happens,
0: like just says, automatically because people build relationships relationship and therefore they stay in touch. We are currently experimenting with offering additional events after, so we're actually just in a couple of weeks time we have a mentoring and alumni event where we bring together alumni and mentors to reconnect and just help each other solve problems and I think that's really lovely and personally I'm really looking forward to this but Michelle, just to say your program sounds amazing and if ever you want to recruit more mentors I'm sure that the Leaders Plus fellows would love to help and contribute so I think it feels like we need to Chat after Jason. thank you so much TVA, for bringing us
2: together.
1: <laughs> absolutely, it's the
2: charity CEO matchmaking service.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's so brilliant to hear about other organizations, and we know a lot of mentoring organizations within the sort of youth sector space. But actually, to hear about groups where there's actually adults supporting other adults is really really brilliant. And I can imagine, Verena, you've got lots of people within your network who would be amazing mentors to young people. So, yeah, absolutely, we'll connect.
2: Great. Yeah, brilliant. That was one of the reasons I wanted to bring you both together actually in this panel, because I was conscious that your organizations focus on quite distinct demographics in terms of your mentoring offer, which I thought was really interesting. And talking more about mentoring itself as a concept, I wanted to ask whether there are any trends in the mentoring space that
1: you see that might influence things going forward in the future. I think a lot of young people that we work with have their teachers they have the sort of professionals around them that can support their mental health and well-being but often just having somebody to talk to about their lives who's not a parent who's not a teacher who's somebody completely objective has I think especially over the last couple of years and given everything that we've all gone through and that young people in particular have gone through has been a real benefit. And it's something that we see when, when we ask young people about why is it that you've enjoyed working with your mentor so much or what's been the benefit to you? A lot of them are talking about they support me with my well-being, they let me talk to them about whatever I'm feeling, they're not judgmental. And that's been really interesting.
0: Mm, interesting. Farina? Yeah, I agree with what you said there. And I think the other thing I'm seeing, I don't know if it's a trend or if it's always been there, seems that there is more and more paid for mentoring so organizations that are charities or social enterprises but who don't recruit volunteer mentors but who are actually getting mentors that they're paying and I think that's just a reflection of understanding of how much you need to invest to select the right people as volunteers to train them to review whether the process is going well and so on and so forth so I think mentoring has been professionalized a little bit or is in the process of being professionalized
2: That's really interesting to hear. One of the things I was wondering about is the format or the structure of the interaction. So pre-pandemic, they were more likely to be in person, it's face-to-face, obviously through COVID, the pandemic, we are seeing more and more the interactions happen online. And I know the Girls Network, for example, is currently piloting an online mentoring programme. And I wanted to get the sense from both of you in terms of whether you've seen a big impact from that shift of moving away from perhaps more face-to-face to online interaction, how... Has that affected the take-up of the programmes or how has it affected the
1: quality from your data perspective? For us, in our work, we before the pandemic only ever carried out our work in person so it was physically mm-hmm. in schools on the school site working being there in front of the young people and of course that all had to stop when the schools closed so we very quickly developed a way of doing what we do online we were skeptical just like everybody else um, not being used to that sort of online way of working and that remote contact but actually i think it was a surprise to everybody involved that it actually was very successful and It's been very interesting since because now we're back to doing most of our work face-to-face. I mean, what it means for us as an organisation is we now have that extra arm of what we do where we can deliver an online service, where perhaps we can't reach the young people physically. So it's a lot of benefit in that sense. But what we did see when we've been delivering work online is that actually the young people and their mentors reported that where they... For the young people in particular, they didn't have the distractions around them of their peers. Often that led to much more in-depth and transparent conversations. So that was really interesting. And so when I talk about that support that they had for their well-being, their mental health over the last two years, I think that that, those two sort of really went hand in hand. And I think going forward, there's a real opportunity to look at how both in-person and online methods can be used.
0: Yeah, the... Fascinating thing for me was that the quality stayed the same, and in fact, even marginally increased by a couple of percentage points already from my high starting point. The interesting thing is that it's very personal. There are some people who wanted to go back to face to face mentoring, but many of them have stayed online since the pandemic. And in terms of quality, we haven't seen a difference, but we've seen a difference in terms of how it was done. So there's probably a bit more interaction going on between mentor meetings now as a result of the, it being online, because people expect there to be more online conversation.
1: That's really interesting. I was just going to add that it definitely does depend on the people involved. And of course, when we're thinking about which young people, types of young people, young people with different needs, who can we work with online and who can we work with in person? We do have to think about that very carefully because, of course, we saw through peak pandemic times that, you know, young people were joining mentoring conversations, but actually wouldn't keep their camera on, wouldn't even keep the mics on. And just getting past those hurdles were hard enough. If self-esteem and confidence and all those things are an issue and are something to be focused on, then, of course, we do have to think about whether that's the right thing to do something like that online. But it does very much depend on the needs. so that does have to be considered. That's really interesting, Bijel, and I
2: think it leads quite nicely to my next question because I'm conscious that we've talked a lot about the benefits of mentoring. And I wanted to ask, what are some of the challenges or issues that such a program faces?
0: I think the most important thing is not to think about it with vanity. I would say vanity is the biggest challenge for such a program because so mentors might have, no offense to anyone, but mentors might have the vanity of, oh, I've been selected to give advice, therefore let me give some advice, even if that's not what the individual needs. It could be the vanity of the organization saying, we have got this amazing mentoring program. It's very easy. Everyone likes a mentoring program. It's very easy to get people to like a mentoring program, but actually being rigorous about the evaluation is super essential. And we found some things that actually are making our lives a little bit harder. So for example, we found that our repeat mentors seem to have a higher impact than the the new ones initially. So that means we need to do more and we need to find mentors who are able to commit year after year after year. Which many of them do, but then some of them want to do it every third year because they like to keep their relationship going for longer and so on. So really being led by the impact and not by your own vanity of having this amazing mentoring program is quite important. And then just also your own vanity. So sometimes if you're a mentee, you might not want to share what's really going on and you might want to just say things that impress the mentor or that you think the mentor wants to hear. But we really need to cut through that. And when we do the introduction to our mentoring program, we're very very clear with our fellows that you need to talk to your mentor about the things that are keeping you awake at night, obviously within the sphere of the mentoring program. And that I think that brutal honesty
2: has worked quite well. Fascinating. That's
1: really interesting. I think Verini yeah, touched on some really key things there. I think just that thinking about vanity is so important. And if I think about some of any any of the sort of challenges that we've faced, we talk to our mentors about taking a very non-judgmental approach, meeting the young people where they are, understanding the backgrounds of the young people, where they're coming from in every way, and not making any assumptions about those things. As well, being very open, which even with the best intentions, it is a struggle for people. So I think having that total sort of non-bias is something that's quite hard to train for. When we're training our volunteers and our mentors, we talk about that a lot, but I think it takes experience as well. And then back to your point, Verena, about retaining mentors, retaining those really brilliant people who are going to keep supporting year on year is hard because it's a big commitment you're asking for. And that commitment is so crucial to those mentoring relationships. So I think all of those things are really key.
2: Yes, Verena, you mentioned earlier in the conversation that you have worked with many mentors and, Michelle, I believe that you also have a mentor. I'd like to hear from you your personal experiences in terms of how has having a mentor helped you in your personal journeys and your careers? And Verena, do also share if you've had experiences where perhaps the mentor relationship hasn't gone as expected. So I will tell
0: you the good, bad and the ugly. And I think the ugly. So I recently was part of a program supporting me to grow the social enterprise. And it was fascinating because I did exactly what I wasn't supposed to do. So it was quite interesting. I was out of my comfort zone because every it wasn't a social entrepreneurs program. So everyone else was mainly white elderly males who spoke slightly different language from me and anyway so I got matched with this mentor who seemed to be very knowledgeable but he was just really not useful and he just kept telling me the same things that I really didn't need to hear and I think for me that's what I mentioned before I made a mistake of staying with this mentor too long it was just such a waste of time and every time afterwards I was like I spoke to my partner at the end and say like, this was so not useful I wish I had a different mentor but I didn't, didn't do anything about it because I thought well maybe it's me And actually, it wasn't me. It was just that that relationship didn't work out. And I'm sure this person is a wonderful mentor for someone else. But I should have quicker decided that this didn't work. And then on the other hand, I had a really exceptional mentor called Belinda Bell, who ran the Cambridge University Social Ventures Program. And she was my mentor there. And the reason why she was so exceptional is because she gave me very brutal truths. And they were really, really brutal. So at the beginning, I never liked to charge for anything that I put on. It's just not in my spirit. So I would like to put everything on for free and then somehow get it funded through magic. And she very helpfully pointed out (laughs) that that is not going to work. And if I just put something on for free, it is never a real test of if it's going to work or not, because of course, everyone is going to do something that is for free. So that was very, very tough to hear. And maybe now I sound it out loud. It doesn't sound tough, but at the time, that was very tough feedback for me to have. And I had to go back to the drawing board and actually price things up properly and look at the finance side of things. But without that tough feedback, I wouldn't have started Leaders Plus. And there are countless examples of where she's given me some really tough love that have changed my ways of doing things and have still got an impact now two or three years on. My third example is really just about having lots of one-off mentoring conversations. So I'm, I'm quite good at if I have a specific problem, I will seek someone out who I know who has expertise around that. And I'll just ask them if I can get their insights. And I have so many useful conversations about practical challenge or issues that I was grappling with, where I was lucky enough to get the insights of other people and just get the insights. You don't have to implement what they're saying. Just get insight, download it as it were, and then pick what works for you.
2: Thank you, Verena. That's so fascinating. And one thing that you said there has really struck me in terms of the responsibility or accountability for a mentoring relationship if it's not going as expected. And Bajal, I'd be interested to hear your views on this, because particularly in the context of young people, where they may not actually feel empowered to say, "Mm, okay, I don't think this is really working for me. What does the organization do in that situation? And how do you actually empower that young person to feel
1: comfortable and to feel that their voice can be heard? That's such a crucial point, I think, that understanding of the relationship, is it going well, is it not? When we set up our mentoring relationships, it's not just a case of saying, right, you two, you're working together now, off you go. The really nice thing about the sort of group element of our work is that the young people can essentially look around at the adults in the room and think, right, who do I click with? Who am I going to enjoy working with? Who do I feel a sense of relatability with? They can actually tell us their preferences. The mentors can do the same. And then we use that information to actually pair mentors and mentees, which is a really nice way of doing it because you're sort of involving both parties there. We give them all time to actually be around each other a little bit. Lots of icebreaker activities, lots of games and things so that we can see how they're all relating to each other and they can see for themselves as well. If then after that we set up pairs and they don't work out for any reason. It is really instilled on both sides with the mentors and the young people to say, how is it going? Is it working? Is it not working? And to be able to come to the other adults who are leading the sessions to say that. I think what's really improved for us over the last couple of years is that youth voice and youth participation. So young people get to provide feedback. They know that they'll have their voices heard if they have some feedback as well. So I think that's really positive and something that we definitely will be keeping up because it is so important that if it's not working on either side, it can be said um, and something done about it. And there's always something that can be done about it.
2: Mm. Excellent. And Vigel, your own
1: experience of working with a
2: mentor, do you have anything to share on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So most recently, and the regular mentor that I've had most recently, has been a really interesting experience because... I would say, actually, just like Verena was saying, there is that sort of helping you face up maybe to some harsh truths, asking those challenging questions that maybe you're not asking yourself, or you're asking yourself, but you're not being truthful enough with yourself, with your your own responses. So I think almost somebody who is forcing you to sort of face up to some harsh realities, I've really found that to be quite useful, professionally and personally. And then... I've also found that those one-off mentoring conversations have also been really of benefit to me. For me specifically, in coming into this role quite new as a CEO of a charity, I've had some really brilliant conversations with others in a similar position, but with that little bit more experience who can answer some questions for me where I'm thinking, I feel like I should know this, but I don't yet. Or you've probably seen and done this before, so actually, can you tell me about your experience? That's been so beneficial for me. So I've had some really positive experiences in the last sort of two years or so. Are there any tips or advice you would give to people who
2: are either looking for a mentor or seeking to become one and do also share to anybody who might be listening to this podcast, if somebody wants to get involved with your mentoring programs, how they might do that?
0: So in our case, you can go to leasbluffs.org.uk and you can apply to become a mentor there. You also can apply to become a fellow, be mentored. And I think tips to find a mentor is you can just ask people for a one-off conversation for advice on a topic that you're passionate about. So assuming you want to find a mentor outside of a mentoring program. And then once you've had that one-off conversation and if you feel inspired by this person, you feel that person can add to it, then ask for a few more. I would say always give it a time and commitment. Say, could you mentor me once a month over six months? And you're much more likely to get a yes if you are... Asking
1: with a time commitment in mind. Thank you. And Michelle? So, for anybody interested in volunteering and mentoring with Reach Out, there's two main ways. So, there's supporting our younger young people who are in school, which you can do through signing up at our website. And then there is career mentoring. We also have a lot of working professionals get involved in to support our older young people who are in the very early stages, let's say, of finishing education, getting into the world of work that you're able to support on a less frequent basis as well. And so that's all through our website and there's a very easy sign up form there. In terms of tips, I guess well Verena's given tips for mentees there. So maybe if I think about tips for mentors, I would say definitely make sure that it is something you can commit to because it is very important that that is maintained. And I think the other thing I would say, because we do get a lot of people coming to us saying, oh, I can't be a mentor. What do I have to offer? And actually everybody does have something to offer. And if I think about the best mentors would be often some of the young people that we work with now, who I would love to see in 10, 20 years becoming mentors to the next generation. They've had that mentoring experience. They've been there and done it when it comes to sort of being parts of those communities that maybe those same young people come from. So that's what I would love to see is that sort of full circle.
2: And talking about pathways and full circle, I'm always curious to hear how different people got to where they are right now in their careers and professions. So Runa Virgil, tell us more about your personal leadership journeys and what has led you to where you are today. I've always was passionate about
0: inequality and I always had a dream of starting one day my own organization, but I never thought I would do it, as cheesy as that sounds. I'm from Switzerland originally. I then moved to the UK for my partner, very, you know, not in line with the Leaders Plus (laughs) vision. And I ended up, I had to find a job near where he lived, and so I worked for the CWDC which is a public sector Quango and I very quickly realized that I didn't want to be constrained but I so very quickly moved to the charity sector and became eventually a director at the charity Teach First which is why Pugel I really respect your work and yours Divya with the Girls Network really fun to support what you do yeah and then I had my own baby and I realized actually there's a massive it- issue with gender equality in senior roles and decided to start Leaders Plus. Very short
1: summary of how I got there.
2: Thank you. It's a fascinating journey and visual.
1: So my journey, essentially, I think I always knew that working with young people was for me. But if I think about my background, that definitely wasn't something that was encouraged. Um, being sort of you know immigrant parents and seeing others around me that were potentially going to lots of other fields, definitely not in education or the charity sector that sort of status never really given to those areas, unfortunately. But I just knew that supporting young people is what I wanted to do. Went to university, studied chemical engineering of all things. (laughs) Don't ask me why. (laughs) Um, But luckily found a job with Explore Learning when I came out of university, built lots and lots of skills in leadership, actually, as well as everything around supporting young people and working with families of young people as well and did that for a very long time actually before making a move into the charity sector and i haven't looked back since i'm so pleased that in five years of being part of reach out i've moved from being leading delivery to now the chief exec of the organization and i love the organization i love what i do so as much as it's challenging in this role the pros definitely outweigh the challenges
2: Well, I love the common thread in both of your stories, which is that you've both been led by a passion. So Vishal for you was about supporting young people and Verena for you was all around social injustice and finding ways to to fight inequality. And if you were to look back on your leadership journey for when you were first starting out, what advice would you give to yourself looking back now that you wish you had known on day one of taking up a leadership role?
1: That's a very good question, because I think if anybody had asked me even a couple of years ago, are you going to be the chief exec of a charity? The answer was absolutely not. (laughs) So I think advice would be, as cheesy as it sounds, is believe in yourself and listen to those people who are saying, actually, you can do it and you've got the skills and you've got the knowledge and you've got the sort of traits that make a good leader. And I think also for me, it was definitely that not necessarily seeing those that maybe looked like me in these positions and to sort of overcome that barrier, if you like, has probably been the hardest. And I think hopefully that's changing, but I think there's a long way to go.
2: Yes. Representation is so important across our sector and across all roles and sectors. Marina. For me, it's—I would
0: have loved to know the big impact that delegating properly and as part of that, actually letting go and letting people get on with the stuff that you're delegating them to—that impact that that can make on your own work life and on your ability to think strategically, which is what is so important in leadership.
2: Absolutely, completely agree with that. And in closing, now I mean, this has been such an enjoyable conversation. Thank you both. Do you have any final thoughts or reflections that you would like to share? I mean, what is one thing you would like listeners to take away from this conversation?
0: I'm sure anyone listening will do this already, but don't do something for the vanity of it.
1: Really start with the impact in mind. And Vishal? How do I beat that? (laughs) I think I'll go back to something I mentioned earlier, which is that most people have something to offer in terms of mentoring somebody else. A skill, a strength. Everybody does. And if you can identify that, then you can become a fantastic mentor to somebody. And like I said before, that's what I really hope that all of our young people see in themselves to eventually go that full circle and be a great mentor to somebody else.
2: Well, thank you so much, Michelle and Verena. This has been such an enjoyable conversation and I hope you enjoyed the, the panel format, which is new to the Charity CEO podcast as well. But thank you for being guests on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. It has been an absolute pleasure. I believe representation in leadership is absolutely vital. As Bijal alluded to at the end there, you sometimes cannot be what you cannot see. Mentoring can help change that. As Verena said earlier in the conversation, mentoring is in essence the engineering of social and cultural capital for those who don't have it. It is through the power of mentoring that young people, women or anyone from a disadvantaged background can begin to see possibilities and brighter paths ahead, which helps create a more equitable and prosperous society for us all. I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the Charity CEO Podcast, a show that thanks to you, our listeners, has repeatedly reached the number one spot in Apple's non-profit podcast category. If you found this conversation valuable... Please share or tag us on Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram and make sure you subscribe to the show by clicking the subscribe button on your podcast app. If you're feeling inspired or uplifted by what you have just heard, please share the joy and leave us a five-star review. Visit our website, thecharityceo.com for full show details, information on previous season episodes and to submit ideas for future guests. In order to balance my personal and professional commitments, the show will now come to you once a month instead of fortnightly. But I assure you, it will be worth the wait. Thank you for listening.